This morning as we continue our study in Mark, we're going to be in Mark chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 23. So if you want to grab your copy of God's Word and flip on over to Mark 7, I will read those verses for us in just a minute. But right now, let me open this up with a word of prayer. Father, thanks so much for a chance for us to gather around your Word. Uh, we're your kids. We're your family. We're scattered all over right now, but we are still yours, and you want us to know you. So we thank you for the opportunity this morning to know you better through your word. We know that your word is true. Spirit, we pray that you'll help us to be good students of this inerrant word. Help us to understand it and to be shaped by it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we come to Mark chapter 7, verse 14, and I'm going to pick up the reading there. Here we find Mark telling us that Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So this morning as we come to this text, last week if you were with us, Jesus was engaging some Pharisees and some scribes, and they were uh, accusing him of being a poor leader. They were saying that you're not following the traditions of the elders, the traditions of men, and therefore you're not as pious as we are, and you're not fit to be leading a group of disciples. And so Jesus calls them on the mat, as you can see if you go back and look through the text, and he calls them out on their hypocrisy. And then here he now pivots and he looks to the crowd and gathers people around him because he wants to address this uh, discrepancy between what the Pharisees and scribes have been saying is true religion, true the, the true following and relating to and having a relationship with God, and what Jesus is showing is actually, actually what brings us into relationship with God, or in this case, what it severs that relationship, what estranges us from that relationship. Because that's what our text is all about, what defiles you. Because you have the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they were telling Jesus, hey, you and your followers are defiled because you don't wash your hands properly. And so Jesus says, that's ridiculous. And now he turns his attention to the crowds, and then more specifically to his followers, followers and he actually helps them understand that the scribes and Pharisees are wrong. Religion has it wrong about what makes you defiled. Let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you what really estranges you from God. And what it is is something that goes on at a heart level. Not to use a pun here, but, but Jesus essentially is going after the heart of the issue, and the issue is the heart. I've been watching a show recently because I want to clean my garage. My garage has been in disarray since we moved in five years ago, and so I made a plan. Spring break this year, I'm going to tackle the garage, and I did, and I'm not done. It's an ongoing process. But to keep myself motivated, I started watching this television show called Hoarders. I don't know if you've seen Hoarders. Uh, it's a fantastic show. It pretty much tells, each episode will tell one or two stories of people who are compulsive hoarders and have let their, their homes and their lives just get overrun with clutter and filth. 
And so then the producers send in this team of experts. They send in sort of experts who are you know, industrial cleaners. They're extreme cleaners. And then you have these organizational experts who come in. But they also, every time, will send in these mental uh, health professionals as well to engage with these folks. Because the basic premise of the show is that if you clean up somebody's house, but you don't actually look under the hood and help them wrestle with the heart issues or with the psychological issues that are going on with them that is triggering their hoarding, then you're really just slapping a Band-Aid on it. You're just making something look a little better on the outside, but you haven't dealt with what's going on in the inside. And that's what we find here in our text, is Jesus is saying, hey, religion's all concerned about the outside, but what we need to be concerned about are our hearts. About the inside. Jesus is laying the groundwork here for us understanding the difference and also like a tension that exists between religion, quote unquote, and the gospel. Your religion cleans us up. It, it focuses on our external behaviors, what other people can see, and it tries to clean those up, but it does so without actually healing our hearts. The gospel is focused on healing our hearts, and hearts that are healed actually start to work themselves out and bringing redemption and restoration to all kinds of other external aspects of life as well, including behaviors. And the big idea I want us to wrestle with today is that if we're honest, we're just like those Pharisees and those scribes. And if you really push us, we would prefer to be all about religion, not about the gospel. We wouldn't say it that way, but functionally it's true because we prefer religion over the gospel. And primarily the reason we prefer it over the gospel is the gospel is invasive and religion, religion's simple and it's sterile. And we prefer what's simple and sterile over what's simple but invasive. So this morning, I want us to wrestle with what Jesus puts in front of us, and that is our preference for religion, but our need for the gospel. Religion is not the answer for what ails us. Religion will sidestep what we need. It will sugarcoat. It will paper over. It is not a solution for what ails us. What ails us is sin-broken hearts, and only the gospel engages sin-broken hearts. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, our preference for religion, but our need for the gospel. So let's talk about our preference for religion for a few minutes here. That's what Jesus is drawing attention to in verses 14 through 19. He's calling, in, he's calling attention for his listeners to see, hey, you've been told all your lives that what you should focus on are ceremonial cleanliness issues but that doesn't actually make you any less defiled in, in the eyes of God. And this, this idea of being defiled, it's a central idea here. It's what people are wrestling with, with. It's what the scribes and the Pharisees are concerned about is being defiled and other people being defiled. So what do we mean when we say defiled? Uh, R.C. Sproul puts it this way. He says it means being indebted to God. Or another way we could say it is it means that we're no longer morally acceptable. We're morally unacceptable. Being defiled is to be morally unacceptable. If you watched that children's video just a few minutes ago from the Gospel Project for Kids, and it shows Adam and Eve, after the fall, after they sin, they feel the shame of it. And so they realize they're naked, and they go and they hide. They run and they hide from God because they realize in that moment they're no longer morally acceptable. They're defiled. And Jesus is contrasting truly being defiled with uh, not going through the ceremony of hand washing from earlier in this chapter. He's showing that those two are separate from each other. We're not defiled because we don't follow certain purity rules. We're defiled because of something deeper, something inside of us, something that's going on at a heart level. 
And what religion focuses on, we prefer religion because it focuses on external practices and external behaviors. And we love that it focuses on external practices and behaviors because we assume that what matters most is what people can see, or at least we want to assume that. We assume that what matters most is what shows, and so we need to focus our attention on cleaning up what other people see. We look and we see what's on the surface uh, about others, and we make a judgment call about them. What we see, the presenting symptoms of a human being is how we assess them. We look at them and we decide whether or not that person is morally acceptable based on the decisions that they're making, and whether we consider those decisions morally acceptable. I mean, honestly, that's one of the reasons I believe that we in the West have become really, really weak and lazy when it comes to evangelism. Because we look at our lost neighbors and we think they're pretty morally acceptable. Their life looks pretty good. And people whose lives look pretty good don't really need to have them overhauled by the gospel. They just need to continue to do what's right. Now, we wouldn't say that, but functionally, we look at people, and instead of seeing them as hurting individuals who don't have a relationship with the God who created them, we see them as people who look morally respectable and morally acceptable and not in need of the life-altering good news of the gospel or not as much in need of it because we have become religious and all we're concerned with are what people look like on the outside. And one of the reasons we prefer to be religious, as I already stated, we love religion because religion is simple and sterile. We love that it is impersonal. It is comfortably impersonal. Religion allows you and me, it empowers us to just create a facade that we want other people to see and that we know other people will affirm us for. If all we have to do is make sure that when other people see us, we're on our best behavior, that's actually pretty attainable. We don't always choose to attain it, but it's not all that unattainable. And we can fake it. We're really good at faking it. And we love that we can fake it. And religion tells us that's the most important thing, faking it. We don't call it faking it in religion. We call it moral living. But it is. It's faking it because we can have discontinuity between the way that we live in front of people and how we actually think, feel, and process internally. Or maybe one of the reasons that you prefer to live religiously is because you're afraid of what people would think of you if they truly knew you. And religion allows you to have that facade out there that makes it safer. People can relate to you based on what you want them to know about you. And you can keep private the things you don't want anyone to ever know about you. I want you and me to see like, in the same way that the Pharisees and the scribes, they preferred religion. They didn't want what Jesus was offering. They preferred to have a sterile set of rules that they could keep, that they could feel good about. And you and I, we we prefer religion all too often as well. But our preference for religion is destroying us. We prefer to focus on outward behavior. We want to focus on it for ourselves. We want to focus on it in others. As we said before, it makes us feel empowered. If I'm focused on like a checklist of things that I need to do, when I do them, I can feel good about myself. It also allows me to keep hidden what I don't want other people to know. So when a church family becomes all about religion and not about the gospel, you end up having a family of people who don't really know one another and everyone's at peace with it because they don't want to know what's going on with you because they don't want you to know what's going on with them. And so we all skate around one another. We all allow one another to go unknown so that we can walk through life unknown. 
because it feels safer to us. We hide our hearts from one another. We live in fear of being truly known, and we live at peace with that discontinuity. We are on some level okay with the fact that the people who worship with me don't know me, and the people who live near me don't know me. The only people who really know me are my family, are my wife, or my kids, and they know better than to tell people what I really like. And even with those folks, I do a pretty good job of keeping some of my deepest, darkest secrets under wraps. But this love that we have for religion is destroying us, and it's destroying everyone else that we come in contact with. When I'm all about religion, it means that I'm all about my personal performance, and I'm all about hiding my flaws. And if all I care about is my performance and how I look on the outside, and I'm just as motivated to hide the things that that I'm ashamed of, those two forces mean that I will never be known, never have relationship, never have peace. I'm living enslaved. Religion has enslaved me because I can't be free to be vulnerable. There's no place for vulnerability in religion. And that hurts the people that we love as well because when I, when I tell my spouse they can't really know me, I'm also telling my spouse I don't really want to know you. And my spouse learns very quickly that there's no grace from me for them if they are vulnerable, so they stop being vulnerable with me. That's what my kids do as well. That's what my friends do. I'm no longer safe. Religion makes me an unsafe person to be vulnerable with. And the same thing impacts my neighbors and my coworkers and my community. There's no grace in religion. There's only performance and the hiding of shame. That's all there is. And it's killing us. But we prefer it. We prefer religion because we understand it. It makes sense to us and we can control it. But what Jesus shows us here is religion doesn't deal with our problem. We're still defiled. Religion doesn't make us any less defiled, doesn't make us any less estranged from God. It's not a solution. It's not the answer to our problem. What we need is the gospel. And the takeaway for us as we look at the second half of this text, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he gathers with them and he, he dives a level deeper with them and he tells them what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Because it's from within, it's out of our hearts that come these evil thoughts. And he goes through this list, this really uncomfortable and specific list of things that come out of our hearts. And he says all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus is helping us understand that what's going on in your heart, even if no one else knows about it, it is the root issue that's causing all the havoc in your life and in your relationship with God. In Matthew 23, if you've read that recently, that's that chapter where Jesus pronounces these seven woes on the Pharisees and scribes. In the middle of those woes, he refers to them as whitewashed tombs. He's saying they're clean on the outside, but inside they're full of dead bones and decay. Meaning that you can look good on the outside and be death on the inside. And he gives this list of things, this uncomfortable list of things to show us, hey, you know what a whitewashed tomb looks like? You can be religious on the outside with ceremonially clean hands. And on the inside, your heart can have all kinds of evil and sexual immorality. And there can be adultery and murder and covetousness and envy and deceit and slander and pride and all kinds of foolishness churning up in you and no one will ever know it because you can keep it under wraps. You can keep it hidden behind the facade of religion. All of this, this list that he gives us in verses 21 and 22, all of that can be hidden behind 
or reframed under the title of religion. We can be religious and still racked by all of these realities. And we're all right now so incredibly aware that sometimes people can have issues going on with them. They can have a sickness about them that, that we don't know about. Like that's what this whole discussion of incubation period and, and how long are you contagious before you start showing symptoms with this virus that we're all having to deal with right now. Like it is possible in our world to have a physical sickness that you don't know about and yet it's still dangerous and at work in you. Same thing is true in our hearts. Like we can look at a person and think everything's fine, but on the inside, their hearts are a dark mess. And when we think about the gospel, the gospel is calling us to, hey, let this light shine in your heart. See what's really going on in your heart. Religion says you don't have to look in your heart, just clean up the outside. The gospel says, no, we need to talk about your heart. And so we're resistant to that because when the when the gospel invades our heart, it is uncomfortable. It's not sterile in any way, shape, or form. It is messy, and it is painful. And we don't want to acknowledge a lot of the things that we see in our hearts. And if we do know what's going on in our heart, we not only do we not want to acknowledge it, but sometimes you're like, I still want what my, what my sinful impulses are pulling me towards. I don't want to have to give those things up. I'm at peace with having two lives, the one that people see and the one that no one sees. And Jesus is telling you, the, the life that no one sees is killing the relationship that you desperately need. It's estranging you from that relationship. And so Jesus is calling his followers to understand this so that they can then go and tell others, including us, hey, what's going on in your heart is affecting you more than you realize. Your sin, the sin that's harbored in your heart, that's what's defiling you. You feel it. You know it. When you think about it, Adam and Eve, if you watch that video that we just showed to the kids a few minutes ago, like their sin was not primarily eating a piece of fruit. Their sin was the rebellion and the pride and the self-absorption in their hearts that turned them against God. They said, I want to be my own God. I want what I want more than I want relationship with God or to follow him. That's what's going on in their hearts, and that's what's going on in our hearts in every one of these examples that Jesus gives. And so if we let the, the light of what Jesus says here shine on our own hearts, it's uncomfortable, but I want to just take a, a few minutes here at the end and actually look at the list that Jesus highlights here. And I want us to be thinking about our own hearts because it's from within, it's out of our own hearts that come these evil thoughts and impulses. And I just want us to be honest about the things that are going on in our hearts. Like sexual immorality, that, that's pornography. Like getting, a, having a hidden and an unknown uh, addiction or just enjoyment of pornography. That is your heart experiencing the defilement of sin that's taken up residence there. If you've got anger issues, if you have hatred, that's murder taking up residence in your heart. If you've got these shady business practices, that's theft taking up residence in your heart. If you look at what other people have and you desperately want it and you're angry that they have it, it's coveting and envy taking up residence in your heart. If you have no impulse control, and yet again, whether you spent your money or used your body in certain ways, that's sensuality saying, what I want matters more than anything else, and I will leverage everything for it. It's the sensuality that's taken root in my heart. 
or in our outrage culture, if you're willing to type things and send things that you would never say to someone's face, it's because outrage has given you an outlet for slander and slander has taken up residence in your heart. And there's so many more things we could say about the list that Jesus gives us here. But we need to acknowledge these things are going on in our hearts. There is a battle going on in our own hearts. It would be easy for us just to focus on religion and cleaning up the outside of the cup or, or trying to whitewash the tomb so everyone who looked at us thought, yeah, they've got it all together. But inside, you and I are enslaved by these things. And Jesus came to free us from them. That's why the gospel shines light and pushes in in these areas that we don't want anyone to see and we don't want to have to have dragged out into the light. But Jesus loves us so much that he dives headlong into freeing us from the sin that's in our hearts that's enslaving us. All these things that Jesus, that he lists here at the end of this text, they're things that enslave us. They don't set us free. They don't bring us true joy. They only enslave us. And Jesus is freeing us from these things. There's a quote that I love. I don't know who said it. I don't know who to attribute it to. I just know it's not mine. And it goes like this. It says, sin takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. Let me say that again. Sin takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it costs you more than you want to pay. And the solution to it is not religion. Religion will create a smokescreen so that you can... Continue your life while the enslavement persists. The only thing that will address the sin that's taking you further than you want to go, the only thing that's going to free you from sin that's making you stay in things longer than you want to stay, the only thing that's going to pay the price for what you cannot pay is the gospel. It's just Jesus. Jesus is setting the, the, the framework here for his followers to understand. People's hearts are defiled. And they don't need to clean themselves up. They need to be rescued. Jesus is pointing us to the fact that our hearts need a cleansing that only comes not through our religious activity, but through his life given for us. And he gave it for us gladly. So let's stop running to religion as if it's going to solve our problems. Let's run to Jesus and thank him for being the true solution to every problem we've ever had. Father, thanks for this time. Thanks for a chance to spend time gathered around this text together. Jesus, we worship you. We thank you. We thank you for shining lights on our hearts so that we can see where enslavement has taken hold, where there are things going on in us that we want to ignore and we want to use smoke and mirrors so that we can make our lives look good and clean and acceptable. We thank you for showing us the idols and the enslavement that you intend to free us from. Help us to be men and women and children who repent and run to you because you love us and you're for us and you've met us right here, right now in this passage. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.